but just like me. Just like me. And, and uh, so we're going to continue this study. We started last week in the first part of John chapter 13. We're going to pick it up in a moment in uh, verse 31 here in John chapter 13. And uh, as you're turning there, I'll share a little story. When my junior year of high school ended... Uh, I knew I needed to make some money. I had college expenses coming up, and I knew that uh, I wanted to make some improvements to my truck. And uh, at that time, I was working nights in, in a restaurant. Really, that sounds better than it was. It was uh, I was delivering pizza, okay? It wasn't really a restaurant. It came out of a restaurant, but uh, I was delivering pizza. Now, that, that was good, you know, and the tips were good. I was uh, thankful to get those. But I had an opportunity that summer to work in a machine shop. And uh, I started working in the morning. I'd work from 6 till 2.30. I had to be to the pizza place at 5.30, and that was just perfect. It gave me just enough time to drive from Cerritos, where the machine shop was, down to the beach. I'd get about an hour in the water. That'd get most of the oil off me from the machine shop. And then I'd shower at the shower there at the beach and then make my way into work. It was a fun day, and it was actually a great summer. And uh, I was able to get the money I I was hoping to make. But as I got started in that machine shop, it was all new to me. I hadn't been in an environment like that. And and, uh, I was given really the most simple machine you could run. I was making gun barrels for 410 shotguns. That was just one of the many, many parts the shop made. And and, uh, so I'd put the part in and and, uh, the bore would would go through. and, And there was always something to do there. If you weren't uh, getting parts that needed to be done, you were taking ones that had been done someplace else, or you were pulling out the metal chips and and, uh, getting oil to put in the machine. I mean, there was always something to do, and it was all new to me, and I was doing my best to learn as as fast as I could. There was a guy that worked at the machine next to me. His name was Marvin. He was from West Virginia, and Marvin was a great guy. You can imagine a noisy machine shop. We're all wearing ear protection, but Marvin was a real talkative guy, and he always liked to come over and talk to me, and so here we are just shouting at each other. You know, the machines are loud, uh, ear protection on, and uh, he thought it would be helpful to me if I understood kind of the grand scheme of things, the way the shop was laid out, all the different parts they made, and, and uh, so he would go on and on trying to help me get a good understanding of how the shop worked, how things were laid out, and how it all fit together. As Marvin was spending that time talking with me, uh, the owner of the place, who was also Marvin's dad, a guy by the name of Charlie, came over, and Charlie was nowhere near as nice as Marvin, all right? For whatever niceness Marvin had, his dad was like the complete opposite. He was the crabby guy, and, and he came over and basically told us to stop talking. Of course, I felt terrible. I was the new guy on the job, and I wasn't trying to talk to anybody. This guy wouldn't stop talking to me, but he came over, and, and uh, he, he said to Marvin in my, in my presence, he said, stop trying to explain everything to him. He said, he'll learn in time. Right now, he just needs to learn how to use this machine. And uh, I think in a sense, that's the spirit that we find in the passage before us today. And I think you'll see that. We have a moment in this passage where Jesus was sharing a lot with his followers, but they just, they weren't putting all the pieces together yet. It was, it was all laid out and all of it had a purpose. They didn't understand it all. We know that Jesus shared that he would be betrayed and that it was his time to make his way to the cross and, and die, but it was hard for them to understand how all of that fit together. And so a transition takes place in this passage. Last week we studied the events in a supper that we refer to as the Last Supper, and, and, and Jesus really taught them about the most important things, and he taught them in our study last week about forgiveness and service to others. And And uh, we know he pointed out Judas who would betray him and and he's there at the table and then he leaves and no one other than Christ seemed to pick up on what was happening there. And Jesus used that moment to pivot. He was saying in a sense, listen, you'll understand more in time. But before you can understand anything else, there's one thing I need you to focus on. 
While you're learning all the other things you'll need, there's one thing I want you to know for sure. There was something of absolute importance that he wanted these people to understand. It was important to him. It was important to his followers. It's important for us today. And so I want us to look to John chapter 13 to discern what it is that, that the Lord wanted them to know and incidentally wants us to know. And if you're able to join me in standing, I'll invite you to do so. John chapter 13, and we'll begin reading uh, in verse 31. John 13 and verse 31, the Bible says this, Therefore, when he was gone out. Now I'm going to read on, but what we find here, Judas is uh, uh, leaving. The Bible says, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway glorify Him. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you, ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I've loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. And I want you to look near the midst of verse 34. And there's a statement in that verse, Jesus said this. He said, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. In other words, Jesus said, listen, I, I want you to love one another, but I want you to do it just like me. And so as we think of this series of just like Jesus, here's another one of those occasions where the Lord said, here's what I want you to do, and I want it to be done just like me. Our Father, we're thankful today that we have an opportunity to learn and grow, and I pray that uh, we wouldn't just be learning facts, but that these truths would transform us, God, that they would lead us to be more like you. We thank you that you are a God of love and that we can learn that from you, and I pray that we would live that for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Y'all may be seated. He routinely blew their minds. His wisdom was unconventional to that of the day. And unlike other leaders who would just kind of put things out there in the course of their talks, Jesus, he spoke with conviction. He was dogmatic. And when he spoke with authority, people listened. In fact, the Bible tells us specifically that people were oftentimes shocked with the way in which Jesus spoke. But on this night, we know that his followers were literally in awe of what their Savior had done as he washed their feet and with what he had said. As the passage continues, we see that Judas left the room. And as Judas leaves the room, I can just imagine not a single set of eyes followed Judas on the way out the room because they were all transfixed on Jesus. Knowing something was happening, but not understanding all of the details. And, and so they're looking at Jesus the betrayer now gone, the Savior continuing to speak, and he said what they were afraid he might say, I believe. He said this, a little while I'm with you, whither I go, you cannot come. He said, in other words, I'm just going to be with you a little bit, and I'm going somewhere, and where I'm going, you can't come at this time. Now their understanding, as I've emphasized, was limited, but their attention was wrapped. They wanted to know desperately 
So with the announcement of the departure of Jesus coming, he says this, he says, So now I say to you, and this was it. He was leaving them that necessitated a a talk, and this great statement would be made. All eyes are on Jesus, all ears are open, all hearts are receptive. All of this is happening right now. And Jesus said, based on all of this, so now I say to you, and here it is, he said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, as I have loved you. I want you to get the picture in layman terms. Jesus said, all right, I'm going away. You guys can't come right now, but I got a big statement to make. Here it is. You guys ready? Here it is. It's coming. And he said, my desire and command to you is that you would love each other just like I have loved you. And I'm sure there was someone in the room who thought, that's it? That's the big news. I mean, that's what you have to say. You're telling us you're going away and we can't come and there's so much we don't understand and there's something you really want us to know and the big commandment, the big ideas, you want us to love one another. It would seem that there were more important things to discuss, but with these verses in mind, I think we'll find this was the thing that needed to be discussed. If you have your outlines nearby this morning, with these verses in our hearts, we'll see beginning uh, in this study this. Love is indispensable to a life well lived. Love is indispensable to a life well lived. Now, we always learn from the words of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we learn from those occasions where Jesus didn't speak or from those things he didn't say. Let me share with you what I mean. I want you to notice in this moment that Jesus did not use this as as an occasion to say, I want you guys to get out there and do some miracles. He didn't say, I want you guys to uh, talk a lot about your giftedness and, and about the talents I've packed into your lives. He said, in essence, although each of you will excel in various ways, you will go no further in life than your love will take you. Your knowledge, your power will be wholly inadequate to do what needs to be done. You will go no further in your life than your love will take you. Sometimes we'll say things in our lives like, you know, I really, I really struggle with patience. I'm sure I'm not the only guy in the room who could make that statement. Sometimes we'll say things like, you know, I'm not as kind as I should be. Sometimes we'll say, you know, I shade the truth in my favor sometimes. So we'll talk about our, our issues with patience or kindness or, or with, with the truth. But listen, what we are really saying in those moments is, I don't love the other people in my life as I should. As Paul was writing to the believers in Corinth, he said it this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, charity or love, he said, it suffers long. In other words, charity's patient. When you love people, you're You're patient. He said, charity is kind, charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You see, friends, when love is absent, we can't adequately care for one another. There's something missing. We can't truly serve one another. We become selfish and self-serving. What's interesting to me about this is this is the fact even when we do things that we would consider to be good things. I get to pastor a church and I love what I get to do. I'm so thankful for it. Uh, I, I, I was, I believe, called by God to do this. And I think he put something in me that, that uh, makes me love what it is I do. But did you know it's even possible as a pastor to maybe love studying or preparing a sermon or organizing or whatever it may be. And at the end of the day, not love the people to whom you're to serve with all of your heart. Sometimes we can have good things to do, but as we go through the motions, the power is missing because there's a stronger motive that's to lead us forward. It's to be love. 
When I was growing up, I attended a church in Long Beach, California, and, and uh, it was a wonderful church in so many different ways, but one way is they had a real heart for, uh, for a lot of people in the community there that were just going through various hard times. And, and our church developed a ministry where on Sunday mornings they would send buses out into the community. There were a lot of families that didn't have the ability to have a ride into church. And particularly there were a lot of children who had parents maybe working seven days a week, what have you, who, who couldn't come in. And so uh, they would provide transportation primarily for children, although there were some adults. And, and I remember one day the pastor was there and, and uh, he was sharing with the church, hey, we've got these buses going out. They're bringing children in. They're coming to know Jesus. They're growing in the Lord. Families are being changed. And, and uh, he said something like this, how many of you think we ought to do more to reach more people for Jesus? And everybody was supportive of that behind that. He said, okay, great. Problem is, uh, we don't have any more buses or, or bus drivers or people to work on these buses to help go get more people. And so they began to talk, and the conclusion was, well, we ought to do more. And I remember at that time, we had a new man in our church. His name was Randy, and, and uh, Randy was an interesting guy. And he got really enthused about the thought, we're going to reach more children and so forth. And so he made an announcement to the church. He said, listen, here's what I'll do. Uh, I, I've already got the appropriate driver's license. I'm going to buy the church a bus, and uh, I want to be the bus driver so we can reach more children for Jesus. Well, he went out, he bought a bus, he was a mechanic, he rebuilt the motor, he had that bus painted, it was the most beautiful bus on the church parking lot, he had new uh, uh, upholstery put on the seats, I mean that bus was absolutely beautiful, and I was able then to help Randy go out into the community and, and to help reach these children and bring them into church, and I'll never forget the first Sunday that that bus went out. He came to an area where we already had one bus that was too full where I'd been helping and, and the children began to come and, and one particular little boy got on the bus and I've said this before, I think all of us come from dysfunctional families, I think humanity's dysfunctional, uh, the Bible says we're fallen, but this little boy came from just absolutely uh, as difficult a family as you can imagine. And I believe he came to church for one reason. It probably wasn't to hear Bible stories. It might have been to get candy at the end of junior church. But I think it was because he knew there were some people there that loved him. And he got on the bus and this guy was, this little kid was a piece of work. He was into everything. You had to keep your eye on him. And I remember that day he went in the back and he sat down. He was pretty quiet. And uh, we got to church. He got off. And as we went back and were looking through the seats to make sure everything was taken off, we found that little boy had taken a pocket knife out and he'd carve his initials in the brand new seats. And, and as, I, as I watched Randy respond to that, I saw Randy just get absolutely irate. He was furious. He couldn't believe that this little boy came and carved his initials into those seats. And he wanted to talk to that little boy. And I remember him pointing his finger at him saying, you'll never ride on this bus again. And I can't believe you. And I mean, it was unbelievable. You see, somewhere along the line, he forgot that the bus was for the kids rather than the kids for his bus. And that's what happens when we get love out of order in our lives. We can go through motions that are good. We can do things that are good, but we'll forget the point of it all. When we miss God's love in our lives, we surrender the joy of truly caring for others just like Jesus. Paul one time said this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these three is love. Faith, hope, and love. What's the greatest? He said charity or, or love. Now that's quite a statement. How can that be? How can love be the greatest? We know we have to have faith. 
The Bible's filled with passages like Habakkuk 2 that tell us the just shall live by faith. I mean, we have to have faith. That's how we enter into a relationship with God. That's how we live the Christian life. It's done by faith. And, and we have to have hope or we would be discouraged. The Bible in Titus 2 tells us this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, there is a hope we're to always be looking to that, that keeps us going. Jesus is our hope. Well, I want to explain to you why love is the greatest. Faith, it's empty and dead without love. Paul said it this way. He said, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. You see, hope as we know it then would have to be also tied to, to love. Think of hope and love. They go together. In other words, love is the anchor that, that helps us in our belief. It helps us in our hope. It helps us to do what we would do. Faith and hope benefit the one who possessed them. But when you are possessed of love, you benefit those around you. Faith and hope are for me, but love in me is for other people. It's love that leads me forward to be the person that God has called me to be. There's an indispensable role in our lives that can only be filled when we learn to love just like Jesus. That leads us to the second thought today. I want us to see, secondly, we need to keep it new. We need to keep it new. Jesus said it this way, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus said, I've got a new commandment for you. You know what's interesting about that commandment? It wasn't new. He said, I got this new commandment, but it was a commandment that had been given a long time ago. In fact, if we were to take the time to turn back near the very beginning of the word of God, we would read in Leviticus 19 where God said this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So this new commandment was actually quite old. But have you ever noticed sometimes things lose their luster with time? That which was new, it, it becomes old to us. Maybe you've gotten a new car and it had the new car smell and everything was so clean. And, and that new car, after a while, it loses its newness. That's just the nature of some things. And it was clear that the people in this time, they had done just that. Love had lost its real meaning. Jesus taught us so much by teaching through stories. Maybe some of you remember the story we sometimes call the Good Samaritan. And Jesus in that story, he tells us of, of a man who was beaten and, and many people walked by, they didn't help him. Then one man came and it was the Samaritan man in the story and, and he helped him, he helped him. Now each of the men that passed the one who'd been injured, if you would have asked them privately, hey, can you tell me, do you have, do you have love in your life? Do you, do you love people? They would have said, absolutely, we love people. We absolutely love people. But friends, their concept of love had so diminished that they lost sight of what it was all about. What made the Samaritan, the good Samaritan that Jesus told us he was, was the fact that he loved other people. In that story, we read this in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You see, all of those people would have said, yeah, we love, but there was one person that said, you know something, my love leads me to do things. My love, because it's in my heart, it leads me to have compassion and meet the needs of those around me. So I was thinking on all of this, I think is a as a pastor, I want to reach people and I want to see things happen and, and I want to see this church move forward. 
But, you know, Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, my job isn't to build the church. It's to love people. Now, let me bring this into your world by way of an analogy. This may help you. If you're married, I want you to know your job isn't to build your marriage. In Psalm 127, the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Your job is to love your spouse. To husbands, Paul put it this way. He said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What was Paul saying? He was saying this. You want a good marriage? Husbands, let me help you. Love your wives, you know, with the kind of love Jesus had. Just like Jesus. Love your wife and see what that does to your marriage. We don't need a new method. We don't need a new approach. It never gets newer than love. This is God's plan and it works in every part of our lives. I have great news for you today. It doesn't matter if you have yet to meet Jesus, you've known the Lord for a short time, or you've known Him for many years. The fact of the matter is God's love can continue to grow in our hearts and lives. In 1 Thessalonians 3, the Bible says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. He said, let me tell you about God's love. He said it can abound in you. It can flourish. It can grow. Again, Jesus here didn't speak of miracles or gifts or talents or intelligence. He spoke of love. Let me tell you about my IQ and your IQ. There's a limit. There's a ceiling. Let me tell you about our gifts or our talents or our abilities. They, they are what they are. We can develop them and we want to live up to our potential. But there, there's a lid in each of those areas. But when it comes to love, there's no lid. It's just how much of myself am I willing to give away for the good of others. First John 4, John said this, Beloved, let's love one another, for love's of God. And everyone that loves is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. Think of that. As we continue today, I want us to see, thirdly, that our love speaks when we're silent. Our love speaks when we're silent. Jesus said this here. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. If you have love one for another. You know, as the years followed the resurrection of Jesus, Christianity began to grow. And in the span of about 300 years, they went from a persecuted minority to an empowered majority. And People began to take note of Christians and they didn't really understand them. There was a man in history by the name of Tertullian and he wrote a lot about Christianity about 150 years after Jesus had risen from the dead. And, and as he wrote, he recorded this. He, he said that people would look and they would say this, see how they love one another. They didn't understand Christian theology. They didn't understand our doctrine. They did not understand the church or how it functions. But people that did not know Jesus or anything about Christianity would look at Christians and say, there's something different about those people. They are a group filled with love. Now, I want to be clear here. I believe love is tied to truth. 
I believe what the Bible says. I believe the Bible is God's word. I believe it's infallible. I think it's inspired. I believe it's inerrant. The Bible is the word of God. But when I'm dealing with someone who doesn't know the Bible or doesn't know God, I have to have a keen awareness that love has to lead the way. It's possible to be full of truth and yet completely unhelpful to those who don't have truth. Sometimes we wonder, how can I share Jesus with my friends or my family or my coworkers? And yes, there's some knowledge that can be helpful in that pursuit, but I want you to know if it's not undergirded with love, sometimes our knowledge becomes a curse. Let me tell you who likes to know it all. Nobody likes to know it all. If we don't have love in our hearts, and frankly, it doesn't matter how much we know, we'll come off as brash and, and arrogant and demeaning and condescending. But when love leads the way, our love speaks and we are silent. I looked at this passage, and it's frankly a pretty simple passage in terms of what Jesus said, but it's the final part of his words that get to me. I want you to note that Jesus said here, if you have love one for another. And that prompted me to stop and say, all right, Steve, where are you at? Jesus said, if you have love one for another, do I truly have love one for another? Let me propose a question that I think we'd all do well to ask as we as we close this, this part of our study, if we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough love in our lives to convict us of looking like Jesus, just like Jesus? Several years ago, there was a Peanuts cartoon in which Schroeder, the piano-playing intellectual, was there, and uh, he was playing away, and, and Lucy walked in, and if you followed this cartoon at all, you know that Lucy, she, she thought Schroeder was just great, you know, and she walked in, and, and in the cartoon, uh, Lucy asked Schroeder this. She said, do you know what love is? I'm sure that was a leading question coming from Lucy, right? And, and uh, in, in the cartoon, Schroeder then stands up, and he says this, love, noun, to be fond of, a strong affection for, or an attachment, or devotion to a person, or persons. And then he sat right back down and continues playing the piano. And, and the next frame the last frame uh, lucy's just there thinking and she said boy on paper he's just great you know and i think sometimes as christians on paper we we would check the boxes but where the rubber meets the road in reality in our relationships in our marriages with our children on the job in our witness i, I wonder we would be quick i'm sure to profess that love but wouldn't it be awesome if we let the question of jesus just kind of probe our hearts and conscience just imagine with me what would happen if you truly loved those in your life just like Jesus. Imagine how your family would be impacted. Imagine what our church would look like. Imagine the difference our church then could make in our community if we really had a love just like Jesus where we would see this community and say there are people that need him. There are those that have yet to meet him. Let's get out of our way to go. So we have a time of giving. I know that one, one message on giving is one too many for some, but you know, I believe if we have the heart of Jesus and we love like Jesus, we'll understand that an offering like we're having next week, it serves a purpose. It's the next step in our development as a church family. And love is what has to lead the way. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. There are several words in the Greek language that are translated into English as love. Greek had many more words than we do, and so I'm not implying that it's inaccurate when we find the word love all throughout our Bible, but it's oftentimes different words with different meanings. For example, there's one word that's found in the Greek language that's in our Bible that we translate love that's phileo. We think of Philadelphia, and we think of 
the city of brotherly love. Phileo is the word that means brotherly love. And sometimes in the Bible when we read the word love, it's talking about a brotherly love. There's another word in the Bible, erao, and that's speaking of a romantic love. But Jesus in this passage, He didn't speak of, of a brotherly love. He didn't speak of a romantic love. He, he used a word here, and the word was agape. And it was a word that was distinctly speaking of Christian love, the kind of love we find in the Bible. One dictionary of Bible words defined the word agape this way. It means to have a strong affection for a person and their good, uh, and their good as understood by God's moral character especially characterized by forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. That's love just like Jesus. The kind of love that sees someone in need and goes out of the way. The kind of love that can walk in a room and just sense the person that's down and needs a word of encouragement. The kind of love that sees the need and takes the lead. The kind of love that says, God, you've blessed me abundantly and I want to use my blessings to bless others. It's the kind of love that sees our life not as a dead end, but as a conduit through which God can work. It's a love that's not self-seeking nor self-serving. It's a love that reaches out to others, just like Jesus. That's the kind of love Jesus has for us. His love's unconditional. We never have to earn it. His love is unlimited. It, it always exceeds our need, and His love is unending for those who've received Him by faith. And we can never really share a love like that until we've received a love like that. We're not familiar with that kind of love until we've experienced that love in Jesus Christ. And it all begins with a relationship with Him. In 1 John 4, the Bible says this, we love Him because He first loved us. So when we understand God's love for us and we respond with, God, with, with love for God, He then can work in our lives to bring us to the place where we can be people who share his love just like he did two questions today have you experienced the love of jesus number two are you sharing the love of jesus our father today we are grateful that we have an opportunity to come to a very sober passage of scripture that leads right to the cross and lord to hear you sharing that there was one thing that you deemed the most important in that moment your departure was at hand. The cross was around the corner. The disciples would scatter. Judas, the betrayer, had just walked out. And, and Lord, with all of that happening, in that moment, there was one thing you thought was the most important to be said. God, I pray that we again would not just be students of your love or recipients of your love, but that we would be purveyors, that we would be sharers, that we would be givers of your love. God, I pray that you'd help us in our families to love like you. I pray that we'd leave the building work to you and that we would just invest our lives in loving and caring. I pray as a church that we would be loving and generous to reach out to those around us to meet the needs in our world. Help us, we pray, dear Lord. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. It's not a great sermon unless it calls someone to greatness. And the greatest of these is love. It'd be sad if we came to church, sat down, heard a message and walked out the back doors without really letting it probe our hearts and conscience. The Bible tells us that this love is to be growing in us and flourishing in us and abounding in us.
I wonder how many of you today would say, Pastor, I want to love just like Jesus. There's room for growth. And, and I believe that this is a message that can help me to be more like Him in my life. Are there those like that this morning? The testimony, just a quickly raised hand. I want to grow in this area. Wonderful. As we concluded, I shared with you that there's no way we can give the love of Jesus to others through our lives if we've not received it ourselves. So I've got to ask today, do you know for an absolute certainty that you have that kind of a relationship with God? Do you know if you were to die today that you'd spend forever in heaven with Him because there's nothing greater one person can do in life than enter into a relationship with God? I wonder, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, Pastor, when you talk about it in those terms, I'm just not sure. I, I don't know exactly if I have that kind of relationship with God. I'd just like to pray for you. I, I'm not going to uh, come to you or uh, point you out in front of everybody. I'd like to be a prayer for you. I wonder, are there those this morning about a testimony? Just a raised hand. You'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'd just like to know for sure I have that kind of relationship with God. Are there those today? Just lift your hand. Say, Pastor, you could pray for me. Thank you. Thank you.